Welcome to Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that poses the question we all have mental health. How's yours? I'm licensed marriage and family therapist Justin Lewis and your host. This week I'm continuing my series of Owensboro based compass therapists, and I, on this episode, uh, interview a fellow marriage and family therapist named Ginger Smith. Ginger has been working with families in the mental health field since 2005. Her Bible degree and 23 years of marriage to a youth minister make her passionate about finding the ways that marriage and family therapy, research, and biblical themes intercept and using these to help build healthy families. Ginger has experience in helping kids process trauma, helping couples rebuild intimacy, and empowering parents to nurture and manage children's behaviors and needs. Ginger and I focused on attachment theory, and I promise you, it's more interesting than it sounds. Ginger does a really good job, um, dare I say great job, presenting a topic that she is passionate about. We also covered really important subjects, such as what someone who is from Indiana should be called. Uh, And my interview with Ginger is going to come to you right after this. Mapping Healthy Minds podcast is sponsored by Compass Counseling. We all have mental health and taking care of it can't wait. You can learn more about Compass Counseling or book an appointment online at www.compasscounseling.com. Compass offers online counseling and in-person counseling in Paducah, Henderson, and Owensboro, Kentucky. I would say you're a Hoosier. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. Like, I don't but even I didn't consider know Hoosiers people had from... some Yankee in them until I got here. Okay, yeah. I think a lot of people in this area would say that you're a Yankee. Yeah. From Indiana, Indiana people, I, I don't, for some reason, see them as Northerners or Yankees. I see them as Hoosiers yeah. for some reason. A lot of people here know Hoosiers, uh-huh. at, like Southern Indiana. Right, but I'm north of Indy, and Southern Indiana is a different ball game. Okay. Like Southern Indiana, we would have said would have been in the South. Like they, they oh, okay. were Southern Indiana because right. they were like Kentucky. So. Oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, so, so it's kind of like in Illinois. My understanding is that Chicago is a different yes. world than Southern than Southern Illinois. Illinois absolutely, sure. absolutely. So I think it's, so it's kind of like that is what you're saying? Yes. So what part of, what was the city? Kokomo was the one I was the closest to. It was a little, little bitty one stoplight town in Howard County, Kokomo, Indiana. So So Indianapolis is centrally located. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. We're about an hour north. Oh, you're only an hour away. Okay. Well, that's, that's nice. Yeah. It seems like a neat city. I miss Indianapolis. You do? I love it. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know I loved it as much until we moved here. So <laughs> I think it's probably about being familiar with it. Sure. Yeah. What did you like about it so much? Um, it was big enough to keep you busy for a weekend and sure. small enough to learn it. Learn right. How to get around it and all that stuff. So It's kind of how Nashville used to be. Yeah. But now it's not. I don't know if you ever visit Nashville. I do, but, but it, it feels... It used to be like exactly how you described. Uh-huh. But now it's like it's busy enough to keep you in traffic for a weekend. <laughs> and then like, Do you know Nashville very well? Uh, yeah, I don't, a little bit. Yeah. My, um, my wife went to college there and lived there for a couple of years. So every, so every time we go back for 
concert or uh, some sort of event like that yeah. um, it is growing every time and she's always like wow that's wasn't there when I was in college and yeah of course that's been like 20 years but um yeah yeah I'm well, somewhat familiar with it Nashville yeah. but I can't figure out where like the there's the the big bar scene and that you yeah, know that yeah, part yeah, yeah, which yeah, right you know, once you've seen, you've seen. Yeah, and true. I've seen the big old fruit market. We love that. And, okay. of course, the Opry Mills, uh, the hotel and stuff. But just right. to go and, like, be where the famous people are, where they would sip coffee and stuff. Like, uh, I don't know where it is. Oh, well, you know, I, I don't know that really too much either. But you've been in Owensboro for how long? Uh, we moved here in 2014. So, yeah, it's a, it's been five years. Okay. It'll be six in September. Or I guess it'll be six in June. Yeah. So you're almost a Kentuckian now. Almost, yes. Almost a Kentuckian. <laughs> you're enough of a Kentuckian to be a Kentucky MFT, though, right? Yes, yes, I am. That's for sure. So there's two of us in the room then. Yeah, yeah. I was really lucky because I got licensed in Indiana, and the reciprocity worked out really well for me. I just had to prove that I was licensed and pay some money. So my understanding, when I was in grad school, which was in, like, early 2000s my understanding was that indiana uh, i believe ohio and one other state if you were licensed in one of those you could get licensed about anywhere and so i have never let go of my indiana license so i just pay for that and just keep it going because that was true when we moved here it was super easy so Okay, so Ginger, we are going to, as a couple of MFTs, talk about attachment. Attachment theory is what Mm -hmm. uh, really we're going to talk about today. So I always like starting with definitions, working definitions. Mm -hmm. So what, how would you define attachment theory for the general public? Yeah, I think that I would define that. There's people that have said it way more eloquently than I, but I think it would just be learning the ability to trust and bond and connect at a very, an infant and developing the ability to do that in our adult lives. Okay. So Early on, learning how to feel safe with yeah. others yeah. so that as we become older, we can also feel safe in situations. Yes. Um, yep. It's obvious in children, right? Mm. But because of the way that we as adults try to cope with things and compensate for our situations, it's not as obvious whenever, I guess for a lot of people, it's not as obvious whenever attachment issues are there. Yeah, right. So Would you true. say that's true? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. for some, there's extreme examples where you're going to say, "Okay, there's some some stuff going on there." Yeah, but yeah, on a general it's whole, so much based on like your interpretation, your feelings, your feelings of safety, and yeah, and those are not things that people know, sure, unless you're talking about them and expressing them. So yeah, mm-hmm. and it's not even something you would know about yourself unless yeah. you're able to. Uh, be in a possession, position to do some serious reflection or yeah. really, I guess we have biased opinions, but 
uh, talk to a therapist about those sort of things, right? <laughs> yes, I mean, it's, exactly. <laughs> it's not even easy for us as therapists always to pick oh, out no, those things so about true. ourselves, yeah. but um, yeah. we have some advantages on that. However, the, the general person who doesn't spend their time thinking about yeah. interpersonal relationships and <laughs> how it affects or our day to day life. And getting ready for your right. next, yes, exactly. It's so true. They, yeah. Whenever they're trying to just uh, make a dollar do some, doing something else all day long, that's they don't right. have that opportunity. So. That's right. Um, they can listen to podcasts like these Absolutely. in order to inform themselves <laughs> while they're out on the job or driving their cars to their jobs. I am I am happy to say that I am noticing that the literature in attachment theory, especially as it relates to marriages, has really been increasing um, yeah. lately. I'm noticing that I've been teaching a marriage class at my church and just in my trying to take my theory and use it into my practice there's been more and more resources that are exercises and they help walk people through kind of being aware of that inter self that's going on and okay. that's been really helpful sure that really that awareness helpful. piece is huge yeah yeah, yeah. and um, yeah so let's i guess let's start back in how attachment theory works from the beginning because it really is uh, key in childhood. Yeah. You know, it kind of, I was talking with someone else about some of the stereotypes of therapy and it's sometimes like you feel like you have to go and talk about your childhood and sometimes yeah. you don't, but it really, there is a lot of value in being able to explore that with the therapist, yeah. I think. So, um, can I think you- with attachment theory, that would be difficult because the uh, prime time that everything that's going on that you need to develop a secure attachment mm-hmm. style, I guess, would be um, early infantry, sure. infancy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. infancy. So, you know, John Bowlby was uh, a British psychiatrist um, back in World War II era, and his work is really the foundation of it. And since then, th- this the research, the brain research, uh, things are just blowing up to just back up things that he was noticing back then. So in order to understand attachment theory, I think understanding the roots of how it was developed is really important. Okay, that sounds so, great. John Bowlby, um, he, he was, like I said, a British psychiatrist. He studied children in real life, and in the time, that was a little different. Um, Freud was a big influencer, especially um, in, in that culture, and so psychology was a whole lot about him, but he was not reflect, using himself to reflect. He was watching kids, and he starts... Uh, by looking at 44 juvenile uh, delinquents, Mm. and he starts comparing these kids who are locked up, um, ones that had emotional problems but did not commit crimes, and ones that did. And he started noticing that the ones that had some criminal activity in their history um, also had some significant separation from their parents early in life. And so Mm. he started questioning why, and, and there we go. (laughs) <laughs> and the gates opened. Huh? And the gates opened. That's exactly right. That's right. Um, the gates opened so much in World War II that the um, kind of the government, the people trying to protect kids who were orphaned, were leaning into him and asking him 
what do we need to do to help these kids? What do we need to do to help these families? And he really got to speak into hospitalizations, allowing biological parents to come and visit. And he started uh, really pushing for how can we make sure that parents can keep their kids in their homes and take care of them. And and then he started pushing for foster care and adoptions when a parent when parents were abusive. And so. Um, he's really had a big influence on taking care of very young children with the yeah. mindset that we are hardwired to connect and uh, absolutely yeah okay so early on the recognition was that adults who were participating in some violent crimes also had some disconnection from parents early on so yeah they thought well we they need to figure this that, out yeah they were noticing that these juveniles were had um, very little let's see he refers to that as I wrote this down here he refers to that as an affectionist and affectionless psychopathy meaning they just did not care mm-hmm. about other people and these kids that demonstrated that uh, also had significant separation from their parents mm-hmm. or from their mother attachment theory takes the idea that uh, in the first nine months there's a primary caregiver and how that primary caregiver provides, nurtures, bonds with, uh, really sets a person up to either be able to securely attach or or to struggle with that. So mm. his research began all of those questions. The World War II, looking at how they took care of their orphans, really set that up. There's a, mm. a study that he found with some other psychiatrists where they looked at a like a metal-wired like apparatus with a feeding thing connected to it and they looked at monkeys and how they responded to a a cold metal form of food and a warm terry cloth covered Mm. stand without food and that really brought um that research showed us that how human touch and comfort are just hardwired in us that those those monkeys when they were distressed would rather have a soft comfort than than food so hmm. those are all the things that helped us just it seems so obvious to us now right, right? but right. I mean, at the time i guess they're just thinking let's be efficient with the yeah. children and take care of the children the best way we can absolutely but through our lenses in 2020 you know we yeah. can look back on that and be like what were they thinking exactly but, yeah. exactly but also the poverty in the time that that was taking place, the culture where um, they're doing you know, the best education. they could. World War yes, II, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Just trying to just trying to figure it out, like we all are, for sure. Okay, so they um, kind of figured this theory out. Then, what was the the next step? Yeah, so they looked at they looked at the the foundations. What what attachment theory would would build on is that we are hardwired to need that connection, that our brain development also goes right along with that ability. And so those connection, those bonding moments that release all those really great chemicals also go right along with uh, frontal lobe development. And so so the idea is that this bonding is uh, very important for brain development, that this bonding would... Um, it would set us up for how we will relate and trust in the future, and it sets us up for just how to how to take care and, and make sure that we are parenting our kids and mm-hmm. self-aware. So yeah, so that sets us up, and then 
Oh, her name was Mary Ainsworth. She did some research, and um, it's hard to talk about. I I got that mama empathic, so I hate <laughs> reading about her research. Um, oh, okay. But but it was what it did was watch children and how they related in what she labeled a strange situation. So it was in a lab. It was recorded. It was done lovingly. There was no harm to any child. But I sure. but um, they they looked at what happened when kids were left in a room with a stranger and how they would lean upon their mom and how they received their mom back when they came. And that taught us that there were some styles besides being securely attached that would that would develop in kids and that really paved the way for us to look at okay if that's true for development how does that affect us in our adult relationships and so Mm. she brought out that um, there were stages in attachment that would that we would psychologically do to comfort ourselves and she called them protest um, meaning when a child's mom would leave the room, there would be an upset, a cry for, a protest. Um, when separation was done long, like in hospital settings, when they mm. were watching, there would be like a despair. They would be preoccupied with wanting their mom to come back, but the feeling of hopelessness that mm. she wasn't going to get there. So hospitalized children, children's and institutionalized, they would notice that there was like a depression. Like mm. they slept, they didn't eat as much. Um just sad little ones and then a detachment where behaviorally they looked way more okay because they weren't protesting anymore they weren't Mm -hmm. sad anymore Um, but there was a detachment when their mothers would come they were oddly aloof to them Mm. and so the research over and over in my marriage work and Susan Johnson's EFT and Mm -hmm. even some of Gottman's stuff just really leans into that like that protest what happens when you are with your partner Mm -hmm. uh, what happens when you are parenting your child and there's a separation and that that really influences how we behave in relationships yeah okay so can you talk more uh, specifically about how we may behave? You say may behave yeah. in relationships, that maladaptive behavior. Yeah, sure. She um, she puts three attachment styles, and the one is secure. Mm-hmm. And so in a secure attachment as an infant, what you would see was the child would be upset when mother left the room but the child was able to be comforted when the mother came back there was a warm welcome happy to see you kind of thing Mm -hmm. and so how that would translate in a a marriage relationship or a a friendship even an intimate bond with another person would be that separation conflict threat of threat of losing somebody emotionally like you feel when you're arguing with a loved one that Mm securely attached people would be able to regulate that feeling choose to do things that would cope and welcome them back right and they wouldn't be afraid Uh, that's right we were in conflict our relationship is scarred forever absolutely i wouldn't be driving everything that i do based on i think you're going to leave me or i can't Mm -hmm. trust you because i know you're going to leave me yeah 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 um, another style she called ambivalent. Could it even be less than leave me as far as I can't trust you, so I'm going to um, not be as open mm-hmm. with you? Like, does it have to be to the extreme of you're going to leave me? Could it be like, okay, I'm not going to even be fully trusting of you because I think you may use it against me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I do know what you mean. A little lesser I mean, extreme. Often in my, in my marriage work, often when we're there, yeah. when someone is not saying you're going to leave me. Um, 
and instead they're saying, you're, you're not here me, for me. Or, I'm not going to be good enough. Yes, or, yeah. yes. And when you reflect many times, what what you get to is the fear that they're going to leave. So no, I don't mm-hmm. think that we always operate by, I'm afraid you're going to leave me. But I do think that when you're sitting and thinking about what you're thinking mm-hmm. and thinking about what you're feeling in yeah. a conflict or in that many times, those are the you'll find that that's what our narrative is. I'm afraid you're going to leave. I'm not lovable enough for you to forgive me, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're not safe enough for me to do anything that would let you see that I need forgiven. Uh, Sure, right. You know, all those ambivalent attached babies um when we we would see that mom would come back into the room and they would be anxious and they would want to be with her but kind of angry with her and there Mm. was this like i don't know how to feel about you kind of thing and like i know you're there but but i don't know what to do with you and i feel kind of mad at you well you can see how in a in a marriage relationship especially one that maybe is struggling in a crisis or even just the emotion connection is not going you can see that somebody with that attachment style would just be kind of almost your hands up pushing them against like i want you i want you to be here don't leave me but also don't get too close i can't i can't really and so Mm -hmm. i think behaviorally that might look like you know not connecting um intimately it might look like conversation staying very shallow it Mm -hmm. might look like um i'm just working really hard to please you Mm -hmm. but i'm not really opening up myself up to give you a chance to meet my needs i'm just trying to keep you at arm's length right another oh sorry go ahead no um I was just going to say, uh, there's also that piece of, I'm going to push you away before you can push me away. Yeah. Does that uh, factor into the attachment theory? Uh, I, yeah, I think so. That I think that would fall uh, maybe somewhere between, but the, the third one that they talked about was the um, avoidant. Okay. Uh, avoidant, detached avoiders. Okay. And in a, in, a, in a child, it would be that when the mother left, there was no response. When the mother came back in, there was no response. And, mm-hmm. and in our marriage work... Um, you know, you can see somebody who's just angry that there's stuff going on and they come to therapy and then you can see people who one of them is working really hard and the other one's not sure they want in. Mm -hmm. And then you can also see people coming in where there's not much left to save. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that might be more of a, like, I I don't, I'm done. I can't trust you. I don't want, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel safe. Just, I'm just going to block you before you get to me. Do you feel like... We as therapists that work in marriages, I do, that's kind of like where I spend most of my time. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you spend a lot of your time with yeah. marriages as yeah. well. Do you think we get an accurate representation of marriages that are not doing well? Hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we get couples in our office that have some level of desire in making their marriage better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. we don't really get the full scope of marriages that are not functioning. It's true. I have never thought of that until this very moment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking about a couple of clients that I have worked with where I feel like you start to, I start to get signs that they're not going to make it maybe before even one of them do. And that's where my head goes. I think we occasionally get a glimpse. There is that. It's not that every couple that comes in is going to be successful, but there's a lot of couples that, don't even have enough of a value of caring about their relationship to come to therapy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, there's, there's many barriers that exist for people coming to marriage 
counseling. Uh, I get that, but um, yeah, there's a lot out there that I can't even comment on about yeah. how marriages are not functioning right because true. the element of caring enough to go into a stranger's office and talk about it isn't there. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, so, it's a little off topic, but I'm married to a pastor. Okay. And um, I think he probably sees more couples who don't don't care enough to really fix it than I do yeah just because of one desperately seeking support because somebody's leaving or someone kind of confessing more in like a a spiritual like Uh, guilt you know those kinds of things so but yeah you're you're right you're right. We don't. Really. And it's funny because people who don't do marriage counseling say, I don't do marriage counseling because once they come to the office, it's too late. But I feel like I spend a whole lot of time trying to help people who come to my office make it. And yeah. I, I feel like I feel like it's beneficial work. I, <laughs> I have a nice I, group I, of people who I would say like yes. I feel like it's the most, I've chosen to pursue that as my specialty because I think it's the most beneficial work of yeah. any therapy out there just my personal yeah i guess it's how i feel like i can be most helpful yeah that's off topic but (laughs) right um, i guess we yeah as far as speaking from a research stance we don't necessarily have all the the information anyways i didn't mean to go too far that's okay but But, um anyways i think if i understand correctly a lot of what you do is gottman work i do is that right yeah Yeah. and i do a lot of his stuff i haven't been certified for any of that but i do a lot of uh susan johnson eft okay and i think what we're talking about would be in gottman's language he would he would say when that fight or flight or that flooding you know how he talks about Uh if that happens too often eventually uh, people won't stick around for that Mm -hmm. and in eft we would say when the fear when the belief that your partner is not going to be there for you or with a fear of intimacy happens mm-hmm. so much, you will withdraw. And usually there's a withdrawal person and there's a pursue person. Sure. And when the withdrawal, when the pursuing person stops pursuing and withdraws, it's kind mm-hmm. of a critical moment. Are you going to come and get this person? Yeah. It's a kind of a wake yeah. up call or are we done? And I think that's I think that's a lot of the same thing, the anxiety mm-hmm. that comes within us when we are not sure that our loved one, that our partner is not going to be around. Mm-hmm. Is a it's a crisis, it's an emotional crisis for us. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, it really pushes our button. I call it pushing our button sometimes mm-hmm. or hitting our insecurity and mm-hmm. um that can create or be created in the attachment theory, I think, of not measuring up or yeah. not being good enough or being unloved or undervalued. If, if yeah. we're interpreting the behavior of our partner that way, then we're going to yeah. cope with it. And one of um Cognitive our, work would say that would be where our core beliefs are developed. Yeah, exactly. Attachment. That's another one of my go-tos is cognitive behavior. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of mesh those. Absolutely. Attachment theory would take a little different angle in it in that it would say... What comes first is the feeling, the feeling of fear, the feeling of anxiety, the feeling Mm -hmm. of confusion, distrust, that emotion kicks in and then that starts the narrative in our heads. And Mm -hmm. when we slow down and stop paying attention to the narrative in our heads and we start examining emotionally what's happening to me, Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit different. I like cognitive therapy mm-hmm. too. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like that's the difference between them. Is there's this innate 
habit, how we're hardwired in our style to connect. Mm -hmm. And that comes before thought patterns in intimacy. Yeah. In intimacy. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, this is a good example of how experience creates a style of our own. Mm -hmm. kind of, <laughs> I know. Like we can kind of figure out things that make sense to us and kind of put them together. Or at least I feel, like, hopefully this is okay, kind of put some things together and be like, all right, this is how I can communicate it to this couple in front of me. Yes, and, yes, um, yes. Make it make sense for them if it makes sense for me. And that's what can kind of create some positive change. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, yes, I think are saying the same thing here, but I, mm -hmm. but that's what I was talking about with the EFT work so much when I started. And I started studying EFT work in, gosh, 2003, something in my master's. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it was really difficult. It was like a theory. You had We had to be sure. trained how to like right, think right, about right. it, how yeah. to, you know, what things we do in the session, but what we're doing is fostering bonding moments in, this, in it. And Gottman has helped, mm -hmm. like, give me some behaviors and some exercises to mm -hmm. start that off, and then you can catch some of those. And then Susan Johnson's Hold Me Tight book, and mm -hmm. in the Christian world, there's been a lot of people. Jesse Gill is who I, who I have in front of me here who have also studied that and um and turned it into exercises and like just talking people through it i'm mm -hmm. i'm trying to do in a group setting some of this eft work and it's so overwhelming <laughs> but also people are like oh, say that again i think that's me <laughs> right so it's, you yeah. know it's just yeah For sure yeah you got to have a way to present it to people and yeah where it makes sense and keeps them driven i am uh, all about theory I, I think that way, but mm -hmm. then figuring out how to bring it through and say it in a way that's real life yeah, <laughs> is kind of how you yeah. have to figure out how to be a therapist, right? <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Got to figure yeah. out your approach and, yeah. and make it happen. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Where are we? We're talking well, we about talked attachment. We about the three styles of attachment. Three styles. Yeah. And you asked me kind of what that looked like in adult relationships. So let's let's pretend there's someone that's listening to this and thinking, okay, maybe either they know what happened when they were that young and they think, well, I was passed around or, you know, mm -hmm. brought up in this situation. So I could see how, based on this theory, I would, ha I would be impacted. Um, or they recognize some of the behaviors. Um, what can they do about it now? Mm-hmm. Because they can't go question. back in time, right? Yeah. And be parented differently. Yeah. <laughs> so what yeah. what can be done now? Um, Susan Johnson talks a whole lot about this in her EFT work, about the ability to, the intimacy with our partners can literally help us heal some of that. So I think the hard marriage work or the hard in, work an individual has mm -hmm. to do in a couple session mm -hmm. is to slow down and recognize what is what's happening you know if you're arguing about whose turn it is to take the dog for a walk <laughs> and yeah. all of a sudden the to know what you're really arguing yes about, yes right. yes and and i think that takes some help um from a therapist maybe mm -hmm. um i don't know another lens because i don't know anybody that talks this language outside of a therapy <laughs> right. session so maybe maybe somebody who's read the books could help and we are you know, uh, admittedly biased here, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's uh, without any sort of back uh, backup that we yeah. can present this as a good way to do it. Yeah. yeah. 
But I think reflection, reflection, reflection. What are you, what are you when he's doing that? What's going on for you? What it, mm-hmm. what's emotionally? What are you feeling? What are you doing with that? What are you thinking? You know, I see you. I see you twirling your hair. It looks like something's happening for you. What's happening? Mm-hmm. And many times, if you can get to that emotion part to mm-hmm. help somebody, just put into words and someone with an attachment you know, difficulty or an attachment style that's mistrust is you gotta work a little harder in the couple session, you know? You gotta really you gotta work to earn their trust and and that's okay, but I cannot trust somebody and offer the same kind of healing than if I can build a bridge for the two couples to trust one another and for a spouse to say to the spouse, that's not what's happening for me. I'm not leaving you. I don't even want to leave you in that moment. Um, And when they can say that to one another, like I can't can't get serotonin mix out of that when I'm saying it to somebody, but their loved one can. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and that's when it gets good. Getting them to talk to each other is the goal, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. She talks about in um you know, it's, uh, the kind of the style, the dance she uses the metaphor a lot of mm-hmm. it of a dance steps that happen when yep. conflict arises and this attachment type narrative is going on in your head and and she talks about the protest polka where somebody is feeling disconnected, feeling fearful, and they start protesting. You go back and mm-hmm. think about the little kids, you know, where are you? Where are you going? I want my mom. Yeah. You know, and in a marriage, it might be, I don't feel like you're here for me. I'm doing this all alone. And where just are you? It comes across as criticism, Absolutely. which is going to create more, even more of a barrier. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all about that uh, awareness, self-awareness and couple awareness is one way to, it can be said, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Really just, you, I mean, success in anything doesn't just happen without effort, Mm-mm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the same is going to be true when it comes to being in a relationship with mm-hmm. someone else is going to create effort. And the reality is that even if we haven't had to the extreme that some suffer lack of attachment Mm -hmm. early on there's still nobody has a perfectly Mm -hmm. attached (laughs) uh, growing up i mean there's there's bumps in the road for all of us absolutely so it's not like it's a direct diagnosis of Mm -hmm. you have this disease or you don't i think right you could say that there's some level that's going to be involved in any person absolutely i think other adult you know I mean, think about your first heartbreak. Mm. Think about, you know, if, you, if you've if you had a, a, another marriage than the one that you're in. Think about, sure. you know, death. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things that can, can interfere with, even if you were securely attached. Some, sometimes mm-hmm. we take a beating in life. And, oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. There's going to yeah. be hits to that no matter what our background absolutely. is on the whole. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Covered a lot of ground here. We did. We did. I forgot you were an MFT. It was yeah, way easier to talk that's to you. Right. <laughs> that's right. I'm not yeah. just some journalist over here. I know what I'm talking about. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you think would you would really want to cover about this? or uh, that you, I mean... Let me ask you this question. What's one thing that you could uh, talk to some, or say to somebody regarding this to have them internalize it and try to incorporate it into their day-to-day uh, what would that be 
Well, could I answer that in two answers? Because you, it yeah. would depend. You may. Yes, uh, you may. I think it's really important. You're a rule breaker like me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just think it's really important two things at, a, at the same time. I think we need to take care of our children. Mm. I think that the screaming message for me, and I'm, I have my first grandson. He's all going on five months old. Um, I'm looking at... Uh, my daughter raising her son sure. with an attachment lens oh, all yeah. the time oh, and yeah. of course I'm so proud <laughs> because you know oh, she's doing everything perfect her husband you know whatever but yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that there are a lot of things that we as a society are are doing that are not taking good care of our kids mm-hmm. and I think the message in that is it's really important for your child's development brain development physical development emotional development that we are taking good care of our kids yeah and that would be you know my first thing i would say if i had somebody raising kids in there is to nurture and love and be there and sacrifice and and do what it takes to give your children emotionally the setup they need to have healthy marriages and then if i was talking to somebody who was here in front of marriage counseling it would be slow down Mm. and and look at not just emotionally what's happening for you but emotionally what's happening for you and how is that showing up and how is your partner interpreting that mm-hmm. and let's just talk about that yes because i think emotion has the power to pull people to you i think that yes. any time that two people are in a conversation and there's connection or there's vulnerability and it's responded well there's going to be figuratively a step towards one another. Right. And in the couple's therapy session or in your kitchen, when you can slow down and you can say, I think I hit a nerve because your response looks different than what I intended. What's going on for you? Right. And that person can trust and say what's going on. Then, then there's connection. Sure. Connection. Does that answer your question? It does. (laughs) It sure does. (laughs) And I guess I'm going to, okay, I'm going to have to lengthen this because I want to explore something else with you here. Okay. Um, the first part, you talked about parenting and making sure that we're loving our kids, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like there's a pendulum in society, mm-hmm. like in every aspect of society. So a pendulum went into creating a term known as helicopter parents, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so can you... Pl- can you describe what taking care and being attached and loving the kids mm-hmm. is? Um, because I don't think you had helicopter parenting in mind when no, you said I that. No, I did not. But some no. people may hear that of, okay, I need to make sure I'm trying to never let my kid experience rejection or loss or you know, failure or anything like yeah. that. So yeah. maybe can you talk a few minutes about or just briefly about what? You had yeah. a mind for that. I love how you started that. I'm not, absolutely not talking about helicopter. I'm also not talking about perfectionistic approaches to parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about um, I'm talking about when your infant child is crying, um, you are responding and picking that child up. And mm-hmm. when you are not a helicopter parent and you're letting your child explore and Mm -hmm. they fall you are comforting them appropriately that you are teaching them 
um, Gottman's uh, emotion coaching. You know, you're teaching them right. what's what is it that you're feeling. It looks like you're feeling this. Teaching them to talk about emotions, to connect in that. Um, really, literally, attachment theory would be looking. You'd be looking at the first. 15 months of life. So literally eye to eye contact with your baby, lots of comforting touch and soothing with your baby, Mm -hmm. lots of vulnerable emotion talk with your child as their language developing Mm -hmm. and lots of other people. It doesn't, you don't have to be, you know, Bowlby, when you go to his, he talks about there are a, there's one primary person. And we now know that a child can connect with lots of people as long as the primary one is good and nurturing. Yeah. You know, so mom as a, a working mom does not have to be in tears right now because she's going to work eight hours a day. That's not what it is. Right. It's about the kind of care that you're giving and the space that you're giving them to make mistakes and to fall down. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you are there, you are the secure base, the person they want to come back to to get comforted. So a, a concise way to say this um, would be, it's not, not it's not keeping them from falling, Mm-mm. but having them know that when they fall, there'll be someone there yeah. to comfort them. Right? Absolutely, that's kind of the key there. Absolutely. Can yeah. I tell a story? I think yeah, it might yeah, close yeah. it up real nice. Yeah, please do. <laughs> but. Um, when I was in my master's degree and you know how it was when you were learning, like whatever we were talking about, I thought I had, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you just do a lot of self-reflection when you're doing these. So we're, we're discussing attachment. I am at an EFT, um, training, um, Dr. Brent Bradley. I don't know if anybody, I don't know where he is, (laughs) but he was the prof and he had a guest from Fuller, um, theological seminary and he was there to teach us about EFT and it was level one training. And that morning I had left, my very upset three-year-old and she was very upset that I was going to leave and be gone all day mm. and I cried the whole way to the conference because the mama guilt was there <laughs> Right. and I, I used it as an opportunity in a class discussion to sure. say you know this study is difficult for me I left my sobbing to I forget how old she was but two or three-year-old uh-huh. and I said I cried so hard I called my husband and had her had him put her on the phone and he said wait 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 Wait, wait. You're very upset about the fact that your daughter was didn't want you to leave, but you called back. You made it okay. That's what that's what good parenting, helping yeah. develop attachment, right. healthy attachment is, is that you are doing the work of keeping the connection in spite of the conflict or the tears or the pain or the fall. Mm-hmm. All right. Can't ask for a better ending than that. Thank you so much for joining today. <laughs> Thank Jenny. you. I enjoyed fun. this very much. Yeah, fun. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mapping Healthy Minds. Mapping Healthy Minds podcast is sponsored by Compass Counseling. We all have mental health and taking care of it. Can't wait. You can learn more about Compass Counseling or book an appointment online at www.compasscounseling.com. Compass also offers online counseling and in-person counseling in Paducah, Henderson, and Owensboro, Kentucky. That's not all. This week, we've got a freebie for you. Compass Counseling has offered all of our listeners a free copy of the ebook 10 Questions to Ask Before Starting Counseling. So get your copy today in the show notes. Check that out. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you can find many other episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and even on MappingHealthyMinds.com. We're also on the social media machine, Facebook, Instagram, or places to get more information on the guests and Compass Counseling. I'm your host, Justin Lewis, and please remember that we all have mental health. How's yours?